listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Buggs. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm here with my good friend and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing really wonderful. It's been, um, it's been a really interesting week. This is the, the week that we're recording this, which is sort of the week of, the first week of Black History Month, is the last week before, to me, 2022 really gets started. What do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. This is the week where I have to get all the little things done, all the little dots, uh, I's dotted, T's crossed, Things have to be completed before I go into my life design for the year. Now, I've mentioned life design a few times, I'm sure, on these indie talks over the years. And it's a really critical part of the early part of the year for me. And here's the result of not doing a life design. 2021, still had the pandemic, still had sort of the, the I guess you'd call it like phantom stress or sort of low-grade stress that you have when you're living through a pandemic and you're operating everything that you're operating and you're trying to just keep your head above water and be a positive person in the world, right? Like not everybody shows their stress the same way. Like you don't, like I'm not a guy who goes out and yells at people. I don't have road rage. I don't get on the internet and, and drop curse words on family members about politics or anything like that. Right. So Internalizing stress is terrible for you. And here's the proof. It is. In 2021, I put on 20 pounds. So which is a big, a big deal. Now I did put on a lot of muscle. I worked out a lot. That relieved a lot of stress. Like, meaning I lifted weights a lot. I shouldn't mm -hmm. say I worked out. I lifted weights a lot, played a lot of basketball, got competitive. But I think the net end result of 2021 was I didn't have a life design. I was living sort of by the seat of my pants, which is not a smart way to sort of operate your life or your business. And it showed up in my, in my health and some of those choices, habits, and it showed up a little bit in uh, the starting of tasks, but the inability to complete those tasks or to do those tasks in a really efficient, productive, or, or um, complete way. And so going into this year, I was like, there's no way I'm doing that again. There's no way I'm doing that again. So I spent the last three and a half weeks chipping away and revalidating everything about how I want this year to go and really having to look yourself in the mirror and be super honest about who do you want to spend your time with? How do you really want your life to look? What long-term commitments do you need to drop? 
What new long-term commitments do you need to try to cling on to? Um, you know, what disciplines do you need to have and, and fold in to reach those goals? And so that all starts for me next week where uh, in earnest, you know, that right, that first goal right away is let's lose this, this 25 pounds and let's do it in about three months, which is totally possible. So I'm already down six pounds in two days. Now, how did I do it? <laughs> Here's how I did it. Cause most of it's water weight. Yeah. I've decided to is. fast every Tuesday of 2022. So not fat Tuesday, fast yep. Tuesday, fast Tuesday. Exactly. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Have you ever done, so I've done a fast for ever since I've been 19, I've, I've had some pretty good discipline around fasting. The longest fast I ever did was 13 days with no food. I'm sure no I could go, food, right? I'm sure I could go, no solid food, right? I'm sure I could go longer than that. I did do a 10 day, no food fast over Thanksgiving, which made me feel like a superhero because mm -hmm. food was just being shoved in my face. It was just around me everywhere. Have you ever done this? Have you, are you a, a person who does intermittent fasting? Do you fast? on given quarters, given days, given weeks, or do you just eat every day, no matter what? Exactly. No, I don't, I don't fast, man. I think it's just for me, anytime there's a shift in my diet, then it's really around getting more of what I need, not eliminating because I don't have a lot of things in my diet that really mess me up. Right. It's like, I'm pretty clean already. So when you were like, in college, you used to crush little Debbie hostess snacks man, you for breakfast, those, lunch, nah. and dinner. Now that's nah, there nah, were a lot of rumors the, that, <laughs> that that Nick just no. eats terrible and has great genetics. What do you say to that? No, that that was that was haterade that was being thrown in my direction. <laughs> but but I will validate. <laughs> all right, I will validate some of this, which is. Um, you know, you know me, I was an avid soccer player, dude. Like any, yeah, on any yeah. given day, you can find me playing for like three hours straight. So yeah, yeah if I, if I rolled up into Wendy's and had two double stacks, you know, a, what is it? A five piece nugget, a large fry and a frosty. That's what people would see. They were like, oh, Nick can eat anything he wants and he doesn't gain any weight. But it's like, you didn't just see me play at soccer for three hours. Yeah. Right. Prior to doing this and to do that every day. Right. And then maybe even after playing soccer for three hours or before I hit the gym for an hour. Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not that simple. Um, I do have the benefit of genetics. I'm not going to deny it. Right. That is that is definitely a benefit. But uh, I will say over the past many years, my diet is clean, bro. You know, it's very clean. And what it comes down to is like I realize that there's things that I have not included in my diet as much like. Maybe I'm not eating my leafy greens as much anymore, right? Like maybe I'm not getting as many fruits or different types of minerals. Then I'll add it. So I haven't, I haven't been the kind of person who's like, well, I need to eliminate things or I need to fast. No, it's usually the other way around. I need to add things in order to make sure that I am, I'm healthy, you know, with the things that I'm eating. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good policy. I, I don't think you can judge someone in college on their diet. Like no. the college diet's going to be wild regardless because you're going to be broke. You're going to have moments. There was a place where I used to eat where it was all you could eat on campus and they wouldn't let you take food 
out. And it's like, that makes no sense. It's all you can eat. Why can't I leave with this apple? And so I'd have to wrap an apple in a napkin or a banana sometimes or an orange. And I would stuff it in my, I'd be, I'd still, I'm a thief, Nick. I would steal the fruit from the all you can eat buffet and then have food for later because, you know, you don't want to starve. And it's like, I'm in college and they finally, like after I graduated, they finally changed the rules. Like it didn't make any sense. It's all you can eat and we're throwing all this food out. We're wasting 40% of everything we make every day. Why aren't we letting these poor students take this food home to their dorm? I, I had, there was a woman. In college, she worked in the cafeteria. There were many. And we all, right? Yeah. And we we all affectionately called her mama because she took care of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, with my broke self in in college going up, getting my food. And, you know, I I love these little, um, what are they, breadsticks that they had. And I would eat these breadsticks, man. And, you know, I, I'd buy what I could buy with what I had. Right. And then I would sit down, eat my food. And next thing you know, I was you know just about done. And I see mama. Mama comes over and she looks around and she got this little plate. Mm-hmm. And she got, she'd be like, here you go, baby. You take this. <laughs> man, I opened up that plate of six breadsticks in that joint. I'm like, oh, man, you're the best. You know, and take this back to the dorm and have that for snacks later. But yeah, man, it's just like, dear, like, it's six breadsticks, man. That's like all bread, you know, it's all carbs. Yeah, it's not good for you, but it is about, it is about survival. You were very exactly. skinny in college, so that, that exactly. would set you up. But I, I do find value in fasting because it does allow you to remove a type of inflammation and pressure on your organs. And it does teach a type of discipline. It's almost meditative to fast a little bit, uh, especially if you do it intermittently. Like it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like you can do a 16 hour or 18 hour fast and feel like you didn't change anything. Because there are times, I know that me and you have talked where it's like, have you eaten today? No, have (laughs) you? No, I have not. And it's just like, we've just been that busy. Yep, exactly. Like we just forgot to eat. Well, that's an intermittent fast. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't eat for 16 hours, including the time you were asleep, sleep, yep. Your body thanks you for that. <laughs> and it's like, well, we don't need that. So, anyway, big things to come in 2022, all based on finding new levels or once known levels, post pandemic, hopefully, levels of habit forming, discipline, and grit, which is really the critical characteristic in, in, in coming through, you know, with a life design. And speaking of post pandemic, I think we have to talk a little bit about Sundance. Sundance is the aspirational festival for us indies, right? Like the idea of making a film and then having it accepted and, and screened at Sundance. It's like a fantasy. It's a dream full stop for a lot of filmmakers. Like, let me just get that done. And, and I can, I can die now sort of thing. Right. But the last two years have raised some red flags around this festival. And it's important that this festival stay alive. I know that on a lot of indie talks, Nick, we, we don't poo-poo festivals at all. I mean, we're, we're, we're part of them a lot of times, but yep. we, we are objective. We've been critical of how they operate sometimes and the things they do well or don't do well. 
we've talked to filmmakers about making sure not to submit to too many festivals because at some mm-hmm. point you become the market for these festivals instead of the other way around. But Sundance is one we need to save and it needs to do well. And it's important for indies to do, uh, to be a part of it and to aspire to be a part of it. And this year's was virtual again because of the pandemic. And sales were really low. I think National Geographic bought two films, which is a really unusual buyer. Not your typical buyer. It is. It did spark something in my brain. Like, hey, if National Geographic's buying films, who else like it is buying films? Mm-hmm. And that is yet another market for indies to go into when they talk to their sales agents and sales reps about where to market their film at AFM or other places. And but but a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was virtual. And our friends at Indie Memphis had tickets where you could do satellite viewings. So down in Memphis, you could have watched it live. But I think in general, what we've learned over the last two seasons and last two sessions of Sundance is, is we need these festivals to be in person. And we need, we need the big festivals to have the courage, especially if COVID is just going to be around from going forward in some form or another, the courage just to do this stuff live. And give people the option. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, it's live. <laughs> yeah, if you want to come do it, they can. I mean, they could have done masks. You know, there's different levels of social distancing that can be employed. But yeah, I I agree. Having that in person experience is, especially if you're trying to sell something, you're not going to get anything close to it in a virtual environment. Yeah, exactly. And I don't blame them because Omicron, at the planning point, was coming fast and hard. That's what it did. Yep. I don't know if everyone was, there was a consensus that it was going to be this mild, especially amongst vaccinated people. Um, But in general, mild, vaccinated or not vaccinated. I don't know if that was a consensus when they were planning. So they couldn't plan around. So I don't blame them. But what happens at a festival when you're there, some of the things we take for granted, like for example, the reaction of the audience and a couple of weeks ago, we did our wrap up of 2021 and we were talking with uh, Robert Broadhurst, the director, great director, writer, Robert Broadhurst, and about my experience watching Spider-Man in the theater. And when I left there, I told you the first thing I wanted to do was go buy stock in AMC because I realized <laughs> that even though I have a great theater set up here in right. uh, uh, at, or at my house, that I knew I couldn't get that experience in that at, at my home theater. There's no way to do it. You had to have been in that place to get the engagement and have that excitement and that buzz all around you. And I think that when you're at a festival and you're watching a movie that really kicks ass, seeing and hearing the reaction of the audience is great for a buyer and it's great for sales agents. Of course it's immediate. It's visceral. Right. You can see it. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can engage people afterwards and how they felt about it. You can position it as a proxy. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, what, what does it feel like as a buyer at a virtual? Are you now leveraging your own taste and judgment? Right. right. And I think yeah. that can be very difficult. Like, you, you know, can you imagine like 
just uh, this is a scenario that maybe exists. I don't know if it does, but just imagine that if you're a buyer for horror films, okay? Yeah. But you don't like horror films. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know would why you you'd buy? be in that position, but yeah. Exactly. But so this I'm just saying. So, like, imagine if that was the case. Well, how would you buy a horror film? You'd buy it based off of the reaction of the audience when it was screened. You don't have to like it. Yeah. You what you have to be aware of and to and dialed into is human emotion. Right. So as a sales as a buyer, you don't need to like the product. You don't need to. You need to understand your customer, right? You need to understand that the person that you're going to end up selling this to loves this. They, there were the jump scares. There was, you know, all the notes were hit. You know, they're talking about it in a certain way afterwards. You know, they're communicating. If you can understand the audience, then that's how you buy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure that, okay, this is an extreme situation where the buyer doesn't like, you know, the genre. But I'm certain that that's how all great buyers operate. Yeah. Is that they understand, they probably put 80% of, you know, their uh, decision making in what the audience says. Because again, they're one person. Right. They don't they don't want to put the, all the bias on themselves. Right. They're going to leverage the audience. So how does that happen? All right. Maybe that's a question we need to ask some people. Like, how, how do you do that? How do you make your assessment if you don't get that audience, that visceral audience reaction? Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. And it, it makes me want to perhaps adjust an idea that I've that I've had in the past. It makes me think about what I've said in the past, what we've said in the past on any talks about the difference between a virtual festival versus an in-person festival and the pros and cons of it and how one of the big pros of a virtual conference or conference festival <laughs> is right. that you can get on a big Zoom together and the networking yeah. happens deeper or, or, or wider, I should say. Right, wider. Right. So when you're in person, you can go deeper, but it's usually just with one or two people. You're in a group conversation. It's hard to break in without being awkward and being, you know, sort of being antisocial in that way or socially inappropriate in that way. But in a Zoom call, if you have the courage to just like, let's say you're on a big panel or something, but the courage is to put your phone number in there. Yep. Right. Yeah. And and your name and what you do now, 40 people have your contact information. But based on what you just said about audience, it makes me think about revising it, not because it was incorrect, but just because we have two years now to reflect on what's the outcome of it. And two years in, yes, those people have your contact, contact information, but no, you don't talk to them. But people you meet in person at a festival that you go deep with, you talk to regularly. So, you know, Maybe, again, it's not that we were wrong about it. It's just that maybe it doesn't matter if you're not going to call each other, right? Like, we have a few contacts from those virtual festivals back in 2020 that we went to that, that email us from time to time, some filmmakers we met. But by and large, they you know, we, we become ships in the night just passing each other. Right. 
But those people we've met at festivals face to face, we talk to them to this day and it's been five, six, seven years. <laughs> right. And right? Just, like, you get to know people again yeah. when you're face to face. Again, it's like you said before, wide versus deep. Right. Right. It all depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to create relationships, you go mm -hmm. deep. If you're trying to attract followers, you go wide. And this is a whole other thing I could get into and I might, but it's like, the, so the idea of going wide and you said, you just have the courage, right? Throw your mm -hmm. phone number in there. Yeah. Well, I'd say, okay, that maybe there was a time when people were actually calling people, but now it's more like throw your IG in there, right? Yeah, throw your yeah. Insta in there, throw your website in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the thing with that is, is that I think maybe in many cases, filmmakers haven't caught up with that either. Right. We talked about that. It's like, and I'll tell you one of my pet peeves right now with filmmakers. So when you're a, a social creator, a social media creator, mm. what do you do? You, you create content. Yeah. And then when you create the content, you tell people where to find the content, right? Yeah. You tell everybody, go check out my Instagram, right? Or go check out my TikTok or go check out whatever. That's I, what like, you do. I like the internal too. Like you'll see a creator make a story about the viewer going to look at a post. Right. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so yes. Even on other so, apps, like right, I'll right. do something on Instagram to tell you to go to see go my TikTok. To, right. So, but they do that. Right. It seems like a natural thing to do. So go mm -hmm. check out my content that I've now made available to you to go look at. When it comes to these festivals, whether you're in person or virtual, the pet peeve that I have is one, the filmmakers don't provide something like that. So you're a filmmaker, but I can't, like you won't tell me where to go to see your stuff, okay? That's the first one, problem. The second one is if you do, and this is my, my bigger pet peeve than you not telling me where to go, <laughs> is that when I get there, all you do is tell me that you did a thing, mm -hmm. but you don't let me see the thing. Yeah. Your short film that was 12 minutes long, why are you hiding that? Like, like what value is it for you to lock that down somewhere people, and give me the trailer heads. about what you are a filmmaker and you want people to know you as a filmmaker. So let me see the film. Like, let me see this. Let me go tell people. Cause that's what social media does, right? Social creators. Yeah. I get to see your stuff. So then I go tell someone, go check this out but they don't give me the opportunity. So I go in there, I'm like, I'm really interested in this thing. And I get on the website and I go click on the thing and I see it says one minute and 14 seconds. I'm like, oh, I know that's not the film, right? Now I get the trailer <laughs> to the thing and I don't have yeah. any option to see it. Why do this? Why? What is it in 2022 that suggests that filmmakers should hide, even if they're in the festival circuit? Right. So like right now, you know, we've got we talked about on the on our social Ben Proudfoot. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Man, he's directing amazing short dope. stories. Dope, dope, dope. And dope. yeah. So Op Docs with the Times and all that. Mm -hmm. He's got a film out right now. The Queen of Basketball. That's going through the festival circuit. That yeah. film is out on YouTube. Yeah. It's on his website. It's on Vimeo. You go see it for free. That he might still win, right, at these festivals. He doesn't have to hide his stuff. No. And he's at the top of his game. So why are we hiding stuff as any filmmakers and not letting people see our stuff, share our stuff, love our stuff, let people 
get access to we, your stuff. We get, we get, Nick, it's a great point. It's a great point. We get, in our own, we get in our own head and we're not good at assessing the future. We're good at assessing and analyzing the past and trying to predict the present. And, you know, but in terms of like understanding where media is going, where content creation is going, very little understanding of it. We're not good at it as you know, human beings, not just filmmakers, human beings, period. You know, like once you understand that 82 years of video are uploaded to YouTube every single day, you don't have to worry about who's going to see your content or not. Like the, the, the bigger question is, is anybody going to see it? That's one platform. Right. 82 years of content are uploaded to it per day. You can't even think about it. And we do this, this, you see this a lot in sports. We know this is a great time to talk about it because the GOAT, Tom Brady, my guy, Tommy, just retired. Sixth round pick. So nearly the end of the draft in the NFL, because there's only seven rounds of draft in the NFL. By the numbers, he was the least athletic quarterback available, meaning 40-yard dash time, vertical jump, arm strength, mm-hmm. all these things. And we never look at, did he win? He did. He won at Michigan a lot. We did it with Deshaun Watson who's unbelievable. He didn't play this last season, but the season before he was the leading quarterback on the worst team in the league. So that's even more difficult. (laughs) And people didn't want to take him because they got in their head. Oh, well this measurable or what did he, did you watch him play? Cause if you watched him play, that's all you need to see. If you go to your sport, soccer, by the numbers, I don't think Messi would stand out, like in the way that Ronaldo does, right? Yeah, not, especially not now. Right. But did you watch him play? Did you watch him play? Right. So once you once you understand it, then you can make a better decision. But as filmmakers, that's really hard to do. And props to, to Mark Elias, who sent us a prospectus this week. At the very bottom of it said, of it, it said, no NDA needed. <laughs> Smart. He gets it. He knows what environment we're in currently and where we're going. Nothing sillier than when we get a screenplay that we have to, that, that the filmmaker wants us to sign an NDA to read. Right. Yeah. It's just, and they've never written anything before. They've never made right. a movie before. It's like, right. Why do we need? You think like, what are you doing? Your NDA doesn't even have a term on it. We're not signing that. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, or they hide their content. Or they, so, I think what it is is we just get in our own head. We get precious about our own material, and then we think that's a strategy. That's not a strategy. I'm going to hold it here. Hold it. That's not a strategy. Yeah. Because well, to me, it has no. I don't understand the intended value. What is the desired outcome, right? What do you hope to achieve 
in secrecy when, again, you know, regardless of the times, right? Why would you want to hide your art? Yeah. That, that's the part that I don't understand. So, you know, even if you're going to a festival and, you know, it, that whole, even with the festival circuit, I think one could say, well, there's certain festivals that, you know, want to make sure that you're premiering here. Yeah, there's like three of those festivals or five of those festivals and they're bigger than most people are going to go to in the first place. So the general majority of the festivals don't have that requirement. Um, so again, don't hide. And then even beyond when you're past the festival, make yourself available. Mm-hmm. Right. Just put it out there. Let us see it because we want to, you know, especially for folks like us. And I, I know we're not unique in this is that there's advocates for filmmakers everywhere, mm-hmm. but you're not allowing us to advocate for you. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, that's the biggest thing, especially like you said, you can put it on YouTube, but will it get seen? Well, if you put it on YouTube, it has a chance of being seen. Yeah, it has a chance of gaining followers and advocates and people who share. Do that, you know, make that happen. And again, back to the point about the festivals, do it there, yeah. right? If you don't have the option to be in person um, and you're going virtual, you do have the option to go wide. Like that is it. Like take advantage of that opportunity. If you're now going to be in a festival or at a festival. You still have the option to go wide, right? Get that QR code, put it on your phone. Tell people, hey, this is how you get my stuff. You know, you can hit as many people. You don't have to get in deep conversations to show a QR code. Yeah, right? and sometimes <laughs> people just don't know how to do it. I saw a truck today. It was a van, like a work van. And it had the Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok logo in the back, but no QR codes. Oh. It was just a sticker of their logo. So like literally driving around promoing for these massive platforms. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no one's going to those places and searching your business name. Right. If you had your QR code, we walk up and we might snap that. Right. And yeah. like go that way. They didn't think that went all the all the way through. I don't I don't think. But there you, know. you go. But yeah. So this is what we're telling folks. Right. In the in the indie film world, these are the opportunities you have. And, in, you know, when it comes to being in person, you know, back to what you're talking about before about selling. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in person, it's a lot easier to go deep, you know, on, on your product, on your projects, on who you are, create those relationships. And of course, when it comes to screening, you get to see, you know, especially as a buyer, you get to see those real reactions from people. So, yeah. Yeah. And it took this terrible pandemic for us to realize as creatives not just being you, but the world of creatives and, and the business as well. To understand how important the festivals were and how important it was to do the little things in the festival, right? And now we get it. Like, it is important to screen some big films, some Oscar-worthy films and have those stars show up for Q&A and to be on the red carpet, things we took for granted, things even some people might say is kind of, overkill and, and, and cringy, but no, it actually, it's all part of the bigger context of selling. And if you, and and if you create an art, by the way, a piece of artwork, of course there's catharsis in just making it, but there's elation in someone else seeing it. And when you put it out, that's just step one. It's beginning. It's not about hoping someone stumbles onto it. That's the beginning of a long-term strategy to make sure people see it and get out in front right. of it. And, you know, maybe you go to www.bonsai.film and, you know, you, you reach out to me and Nick and we help create a strategy for you. Cheap, 
obvious plug. But <laughs> if you do it on your own, just know that like the posting is kind of the first step in a series of other executionable strategic items that need to happen to ensure that people don't just get to your content by accident. Right. You know what I think isn't an accident, by the way, I think this Mm -hmm. is quite intentional and I don't think we're the winners in this, the viewers is the dismantling and disappearance of the (laughs) rom-com. Where have they gone, Nick? Where, why <laughs> are they like, they're all series now, right? Like it's instead of making a rom-com with Jennifer Aniston. And that might even, not, that might be an outdated name at this point for a rom-com. <laughs> no offense to Jen. Yeah, I love right, her. Right. I watch her on, on the morning show, whatever. But instead of doing that, let's say, maybe you would have Emily in Paris now, right? A show that takes you on that rom-com journey but i still think there is room for a rom-com film and and, and in general to me i think people those are the kind of movies people watch over and over and over again like how many times do people watch love actually or the christmas rom-com oh yeah it's seasonal yeah so it's 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 a known winner but it feels like the business is kind of done making them for whatever reason. Yeah, I think they they were, you know, for a while. But now we've got you know J Lo, you know, <laughs> I think she's a, I think she's a superhero, bro. Like you know, coming back to save rom coms, right? She's about to resuscitate rom coms with uh, "Marry Me," and we'll see. You know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I think so. You're talking about what killed it. You know, and you and I were were discussing this a little bit earlier. Is this idea of the uh, was it the anti-hero, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like you're people rooting for the bad guy, and that's been going on. Would you what since it's been going on forever? Early two thousands, but, but it got I mean, really it got really popular. I think with the with the HBO and Showtime shows. So Sopranos or Sopranos. Yep. That's again tomato tomato. <laughs> the Wire and Dexter, exactly. So those were these anti-heroes that we cared about. We knew they were doing horrible things, but for some reason, and and the writing helped us make this logical jump as well, but we felt they were justified in their actions. And that spawned Breaking Bad and that spawned Mad Men, which is to me the greatest of the anti-hero stories. And I wouldn't call Game of Thrones an anti-hero story. It's actually a hero story because um, Daenerys is a hero, 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 right? But then there were some people that were rooting for Cersei, especially once she did, once she had to do the shame walk. Sorry if this is a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it by now, you know, sorry. <laughs> right. But, <yeah. laughs> um, and now that spawns shows like Billions, which is kind of about two anti-heroes, interestingly right. enough. And it just goes, uh, and, and my favorite show right now, Succession, where you have the Roy family and every one of those people are anti-heroes. So, right. so again, it's this since the early 2000s. Yeah. Right. We've been experiencing this. And just like with everything else, there's just 
you know, there's a, an idea to be, again, not copycat, but it's like, hey, that worked. Let's do it again. Right. Let's come up with another anti-hero story. It's even, you know, Avengers, Loki is an anti-hero. You know, Thanos, the anti-hero. Like they're not like, what's the difference now? Right. It's like there's they're not villains the way that we used to see them. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a humanistic element. There's, you know, you understand what they're trying the to get at. Right. Exactly. So what you're, you, what you Phillip, understand is Todd that Phillips film. Yeah, they're trying to. Basically, it's like, does the ends, you know, justify the means kind of thing, right? You look at it, you're like, they're, yeah, they're, they're trying to do something that seems legit, right? In the context of what their experiences are, it's legit. And then you grapple with, you know, how they get to these ends. But I think that to me is what, you know, maybe it didn't kill it, right? It didn't kill the rom-com, but it beat it down, something serious, Right. And yeah. now I think we're potentially seeing the pendulum swinging back in the other direction, which is, you know, maybe it was overkill. Maybe we've had enough, not necessarily but, but, enough, but, did, but maybe would we you need say to balance this is also out. a pandemic thing, Nick, where where the pandemic was like just too much. It was too much weight. It was like the final nail in the coffin of like, you know, now it's, everything's too dark. I think so. Let's, I think let's that turn adds the corner and get the hero back. Yeah, I think that adds to it for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. And maybe that's what is causing the pendulum to swing. And, and again, I don't know if it's swung back yet because this is a rom-com, mm. right? I mean, honestly, you start asking people like, what was the last rom-com that you saw? I don't know if people can answer that question quickly, Yeah. right? I think they start to realize, holy crap, right? I haven't watched one. Like what was the net last Netflix film that was a rom-com, right? That people watched outside of, you know, any of these, you know, holiday, these Christmas movies, right? Well, or like, you know, with Netflix, <laughs> you have Ozark, right? So Ozark is another anti-hero series that people absolutely love. Right. So that's what I mean. But and, even and, I, and Netflix, I think what happens is it's like, and by the way, Daenerys, Khaleesi, same, I get it with Game of Thrones, but for anybody listening, like, oh, you didn't watch that. I did watch it. Um, <laughs> I think once you go real, it's hard to go back with the fantasy that rom-coms sometimes put forward. Well, let me ask, or position or, or what this we one perceive real as real, because, because I think that shows like Ozark and Breaking Bad and Mad Men they position characters as this is who we really are. Yeah, I think there's there's another way to look at it too, which is another kind of kind of unfortunate thing. I would say traditionally, rom coms have also been again, like you said, there's a fantasy to it. Yeah, yeah. but it's been a fantasy in a heterosexual, you know, way. Right? It's always guy and the girl yep yep and i could say that there potentially has been a shift away from that because there's potentially this sense that you know it's um holding on to old ways of thinking right promoting this idea that the the only fairy tale relationship can be, be between a man and a woman a guy and a girl yeah. And maybe that's what's kept some of these, you know, rom-coms away. 
right? Was mm. we can't do that anymore, right? right? Because that's the old way. And I think those ways aren't, you know, exclusionary, right? They're not pushing people out and saying that you you can't have, you know, any kind of different type of relationship and have it be fairy tale. I think they're just saying that this is the type of story that we want to tell, right? So I'm hoping, uh, again, this is, we're in this cancel culture, you know, woke environment that we're in right now. And I'm really hoping that, you know, this type of film doesn't get that kind of backlash, right? Where it's like, oh, here we go again, the guy and the girl, and he <laughs> saves her and like that. Like sometimes people want to be saved, right? Even whether it's yeah. the, the guy being saved by the girl, right? Like sometimes that's what happens, you know? And, and so like, let's have fun with that. Let's let it be. But I think maybe there's been a challenge even to rom-coms because of that. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. you know, not trying to force something into that, rom-com world that seems unnatural or you know just doesn't and, and unnatural in a way that it, again it seemed forced like you know for me like i've been talking about like you know you and i talk about things like you know the little mermaid and now it's a uh you know yeah. they got a, a an african-american actress right to be little mermaid and for me i'm an african-american you know you can you know for those who are going to see this you can see my face if you go on to instagram you see my face and i'm like but ariel's a white girl with red hair yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's who Ariel is. Like, I don't need a black Ariel. I don't need you to force something on me that makes it, again, to me, unnatural. Just create a different story, right? It's okay yeah. for me to have the rom com between the, the guy and the girl. It's okay to have the rom com with the girl and the girl. What's right? the Disney, what's the Disney have... movie with the with the black princess? With the frog, Princess and the Frog? Yeah, princess and the, the Frog, Tiana. So exactly. So that's what that's at least I would say it's top three for both of my daughters. Movie. Yeah. Disney animated movie. Disney movie. Mm -hmm. Not not movie in, of all in movies, general. Right? right, right. Yeah. Here's the thing about that. They could have easily made Cinderella black. Changes everything. Instead of doing that. Just make a new movie. Exactly. Where yeah. it has its own IP. <laughs> right. Its own story. Right. And then it actually has a longer life that way, in my opinion. It does. It's like Princess the Frog can keep going. Right. Now it has its own lane. But if you make Cinderella black, it's like. Well, that becomes the black Cinderella and it becomes yeah. not Cinderella, right? Yeah, it's the it's, black Cinderella. So that's what I mean. Like, so with the rom coms, it's a matter of like, my whole point in, in saying all this is that there's room for all of it. Yep. Right. You don't have to throw is it would it say, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like you don't have to throw right. out that type of, you know, people love that stuff. It's okay. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Again, I, I'm very curious. I'm very interested to see what happens with this film. Uh, because again, it's it's bringing back the rom-coms in a time when you're right, from a pandemic perspective, maybe the this is exactly what people need. They need something lighthearted and fun. And in that, you know, love fantasy world, you know, that is just happy. I mean, it's this type of film. And I'll just say like, for me, you know, for myself, it's like, this is the type of stuff that I watch, not rom-com necessarily, yeah. but I like positive stuff. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I watch. I actually don't get into all the dramas and the anti-heroes and things right. like that, because 
I don't want some of that stuff on my spirit. But at the same time, so I think this is the time. This is the perfect time for rom-coms. Um, I'm saying that not only for in what JLo is doing right now, but I also say that for indie filmmakers, right? So maybe this is an opportunity to stop trying, stop being dark, right? <laughs> and step out, make something lighthearted and fun uh, and put that out in the world. Because I think that, to be honest, I think, like you said about the pandemic, this is what we need right now. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be up it'll be up to the creators and the viewers to figure out can they leave, can they recapture innocence? There's a certain type of ignorance and bliss and innocence you need to truly like dive into a rom com, and and not feel cynical about what you're watching, especially right. after sort of the period that that we've had, including the the pandemic, right? Like we last year, what was you know, movie like a promising young woman. You know, that's a really dark take on dating culture in life, right? Right. Yeah. And people loved it. <laughs> and it was a really good movie. And it deserved the props it got. But is there another side where people actually get along or where people go through something together and and you know there's a satisfying ending that's apolitical? Um, I would actually argue that the Netflix film, the, the don't look up Adam McKay movie is a type of rom-com, right? He, he tricked us all in a couple of ways with that movie <laughs> in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But if you look at this, the bones of it, it's a rom-com. When you look at the Timothy Chalamet, JLo relationship or J-Law relationship, sorry. And you look at what happens with DiCaprio and um, his wife and uh, the news anchor. How could I be forgetting? Kate Blanchett. So that's like typical rom-com stuff where it's like, I cheated on you. It was things were crazy. I forgive you. And the world's ending. Let's in. Let's like let's be at the end of the world together, holding hands. And the the character comes, you know, his full rom com arc. So again, yeah. it'll it'll. Well, not, I, I think, I, think it, I think if you relook at it as a rom com, you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, I think I think that's one of those where you snuck it in, right? It's like, yeah. and maybe that was a, a planting a seed. Hey, we can do this. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's room for this, but I'm gonna put all this drama around it. I'm gonna put all this satire around it. I'm gonna make sure that you don't think it's a rom com because you might not be ready for a rom com. Yeah. But let's do that. So, yeah. So I, I hear you. I, I would agree. There's a lot of stuff in that film. Um, but yeah, uh, I, we'll see. I, I'm very curious to see how, how JLo does with this. I'm very curious to see how rom-coms do. And of course, because when one thing works, there's the copycat effect. I'm curious to see if this spawns more rom-coms. And well, if it does, I think honestly, room, I'll be I, happy. I, yeah, I think there's room for both. Now, can, is, Jen, is Jennifer Lopez the right vehicle in this day and age for a rom-com? Certainly for a certain group. I think there are other actors that are younger um, that are, um, you know, again, no disrespect to J-Lo. I love her. She's, she's wonderful. And I've been following her career for two decades, right? But I'm saying... For really to spawn again, you need the new Catherine Heigl, you need the new Jennifer Lopez, the new Jennifer Aniston, the new, you know, whatever, right? 
Um, yeah, because they can do it over and over again. Right. The new the Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> the new Brad Pitt. And, yeah. and and do that copycat effect with those. And and there's room. The whole point is there's room. There's never been more room for content that's great than today. Yeah, the, the demand is unending. It's insatiable. So you can still have your anti-stories, even across genres, right? You can still have right. Thanos and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Right? You can still have... Um, you know, marry me and you can have <laughs> the anti, you can have a, a promising young woman. Right. And you can have both. So we should stop excluding the other as if we're all too smart for it. Cause we're not. Cause if you look at the big hits that come out of these streamers, a lot of times it's one or the other it's dystopian or it's just hot romantic love like Bridgerton or Emily in Paris yeah, and or shows like, like that, or it's yeah. going to be, you know, something dystopian like the handmaid's tale or, you know, yeah. su- it's, it's time, it's time for us to take care of the heart, man. Yep. You know, we've been dealing Beyond with the Valentine's head for a while. Just deal with the heart. Let's, let's roll with it. Let's make this a thing again. Let's make more movies like this that have these positive stories and just are fun. Right. That's what I'm looking for. Just more fun. And then, of course, it won't be the rom-com. It might be if they can do them in you know, PG, but I want to be able to watch some of these things with my kids, man. You know, let's just have some happy-go-lucky stuff that's out there that just makes us feel good, especially in a time when we need it most. Well, and also just, and we, we always talked about our film, Another Version of You, this way, a film you can, even without the kids, that you can watch with your significant other and leave, and there's no fight there's no there's no debate there's There's just a good feeling that you have at the end of watching it that makes you feel warm and cozy inside so valentine's day coming up leave space for the heart don't forget that movies are to be entertaining and fun that's a big part of it go watch another version of you i promise it'll be a great valentine's day movie for you and the other thing with indies too is that rom-com is a makeable film genre Mm -hmm. You know, it's a it's a it's a thing you can do for a million dollars and do really well. So can't wait for it. Take heed at the risk of sounding extremely corny. I, I hearted this conversation, Nick. I thought it was <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. Excellent. And excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you guys want to join in on the conversation and have a great time with us uh, beyond the listen, you can do that. You know how, Nick? You can do it by emailing us at contact at bonsai.film and we'll get right back to you. If you want to reach out to Nick directly, he's a madman. He's going to give you his email address. It's Nick at bonsai.film. If you want to reach out to me, I like getting contacted on Twitter. I'm at flaming your heart, or you can just search for Christopher Barkley on Twitter. You can also reach out to us on social at underscore bonsai creative. I'm going to save the normal diatribe because we say it at the end on a post roll again. There you go. So I'm going to save it, but just know that we're super excited uh, for what we have in store for the podcast this year. And we're so thankful, 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 big time for all you folks that went out and rated this podcast five stars in the last couple of weeks. We love you guys. Thank you so much. We love you for that. It means the world to us. Keep it up. Tell a friend. And let's make this thing grow together. Uh, All you guys that have been listening from the beginning, you're the reason why we keep doing it. 
um, you're the reason why we've been successful and been able to grow this audience and bring more filmmakers and creatives into the fold. So we love everyone. And with that, Nick, please give us the credo. Yeah, man, for sure. So all of our filmmakers, all of our filmmaking family out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And today I'll also add for those of you who will be able to see me, be kind. And as always, Thank you for listening. Nick, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. We'll do it again. All right, brother. Talk soon. All right, yeah, man. Peace. Take it easy. Peace. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.